Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Well, Restoration Church, it's good to see you today. How are you doing? Uh, at Restoration Church, we gather and hear the preaching of God's Word in multiple parts of New Hampshire. And so we are in Dover, obviously, in case you got lost or had a rough night and, or a rough morning. And uh, joined together by Milton, Plymouth, and Bethlehem. Will you guys welcome them to our time together? I, uh, my name is Nate, and if you've... Uh, been new to the church here in the last few weeks. You haven't had a chance. I haven't had a chance to meet you because I've been on vacation, and then also we've been. Uh, we went to Plymouth location. Uh, excuse me. We did not go to Plymouth location. We went to Milton and worshipped there on a Sunday. Last Sunday I was in Bethlehem, hanging out with that crew, worshiping there. And anyway, I'm, I'm glad to be here this morning. Glad to uh, have the chance to open the Bible together and to learn and preach together. If just, I think they're handling that, but just someone want to help me, it sounds like there's an air compressor running backstage. Perfect, that's good. Um, we are, our theme for this year in our church has been uh, like Jesus. And at different parts through the year, we've been jumping back into the series and trying to look at our life and evaluate our life and try to make sure, are we like Jesus? Are there areas we need to grow and become more like him? And certainly for every single one of us, there are. Even in the areas where we feel like we're proficient and we're doing good, we can always grow more. Today, we'll finish up this section of like Jesus. And I think we pick it back up again in December to close out the year. And we've talked about all kinds of different things But we've been looking at Jesus's life, and we've been looking at his teaching, and we've been comparing it to our personal life and our personal practices. Are there things that we do, maybe traditions that we follow, maybe behaviors that we have, and when we take the Bible and and compare ourselves to it, compare ourselves to what Jesus has called us to, do we see some things that should change? Do we see some places we should grow? And we don't look at this as, a, as like a pressure point where it's like, oh man, I failed again. Oh man, I'm so miserable. Oh man, I'm so far behind. What, what we're doing and what we're looking at is what we have to understand is it's an invitation and it's an opportunity to step more into the John 10, 10 life, the abundant, overflowing life that Jesus has to offer you today. And every time we yield a part of our heart, we turn over a part of our life to Jesus, then there's an increase in joy, there's an increase in peace, there's an increase of the presence of God in our life. So we don't look at taking scripture and like beating each other with it. Get better, get better, get better. But we're looking at, we're looking at scripture and saying, God, what, what else do you have for me? What else do you have for me? I think about um, 
my friends, the Nesses, who, who moved to Michigan a, a, a few weeks ago. And so they've been part of our church for like six years, but he's in the Coast Guard and they moved. And one time when they're out visiting family, he came back and he's like, oh, we went to King's Island, which is an amusement park there. It's part of the Cedar, Cedar Point family of amusement parks. And I said to him, I said, did you ride the beast? And I remember him looking at me so puzzled, like, the beast? I'm like, the beast is the, like the most famous wooden roller coaster of all the Cedar Point wooden roller coasters. He's like, I, we never even saw it. We must have not have made it to that part of the park. And I'm like, you have to go back, really. Call out of work this week. Go back. You have to ride the beast. It's, uh, it's, it's not something you should miss. And really, and, and so I don't know what he did. Um, if he didn't look at the, uh, the map of the amusement park, uh, if they just got too busy in lines, but they missed out on the best part. And for us, we're studying scripture. We're coming to church every week. We're listening to preaching because we don't want to miss out on the best parts. That, yeah, sometimes it's a roller coaster. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes you're, you're, <laughs> you're traveling up the top of that hill and uh, one point I was riding a roller coaster this summer. I don't remember which kid was sitting next to me. One of my kids. No, it was, uh, it was Hayden sitting here a few rows back. He said, why do you guys like this? As we're climbing up this huge, why do you like this? We convinced him, why do you like this? And I'm like, we don't. We don't. And then they think we're, we're driving. But sometimes this, this roller coaster following Jesus, yeah, there's some parts that are uncomfortable. There's that click, 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 click to the top of the hill, but, but that descent of all of a sudden having breakthrough, man, that is worth it. The, the, the hard work that we put in to study the Bible, to, to repent of sin, to break through from, from habits and patterns and even traditions that we've held on to, to break free from all that stuff and then to just enjoy that ride. Following Jesus is a great thing, and maybe you've never heard that before. Uh, you, you know, it's, um, it's a sad thing that we take the creator of this universe, who loves us so much that he sent his son to pay the price of our misbehaviors, and we and somehow turned him into like the caterpillar ride at Canopy Lake Park. Old-fashioned, out of date, a little bit musty. But that's not who he is. That's not who he is. And if you've never, ever thought about following Jesus before, man, I want to invite you to, to find out about him. To read, open up the Bible in the book of John or the book of Mark and begin to read about him and read about his life. And begin to realize that what you've thought was so great of not believing in him or deciding not to follow him, to actually realize that you're missing out on the best possible way to live this life, the best possible way to, to know yourself and experience yourself. And uh, man, we invite, you, we invite you to that. This today... The conversation is about worship, and certainly worship goes just beyond singing, and, and I think there's probably some stereotypes or, or ways that we understand worship that 
probably aren't necessarily scriptural. Sometimes we define worship as the slow songs in a church service, uh, but worship is much more beyond that. If you've ever gone to church, if you've gone to church for a long time, you've probably heard people say, and now we're going to continue in worship through our giving. And people are like, nice try. I know what you're doing here. Uh, but worship goes far beyond the 25 minutes we sing in service. It goes far beyond the worship nights that we, that we rotate through all of our locations. It is something that, uh, that it is our life, that it permeates our life. It permeates our actions. And we want to look at that. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 4. And you can uh, use a Bible app. You can Google that, John chapter 4. Um, and uh, if, you get your, if you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one. We'd love for you to have a physical copy of the Bible to use and to read. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks and teaches about worship, and he's teaching this to a Samaritan woman. So Jesus is a Jewish man. He's going and teaching to a Samaritan woman, and these were um, uh, people who maybe had a, a Jewish parents, but then they also had parents who weren't Jewish. So Jewish people kind of looked down on them. There, there was not community. There was not mutual respect. And so she's shocked at first that Jesus is talking to her. She's, she's kind of blown away what, what's going on here, probably a little bit fearful. And then through this interaction, Jesus begins to teach. Something in this conversation that we won't read today, but in this conversation, Jesus said, hey, I have living water to give. If you drink this living water, you'll never thirst again. And she says, well, I would like some of that. And what he's beginning to teach her about the kingdom of God, it's much bigger than we think. The kingdom of God is much better than we think. The kingdom of God is much more satisfying than we think. So in John chapter 4, we'll start reading at verse number 19. So we're kind of jumping in halfway through this conversation. And this Samaritan woman says, sir, you must be a prophet. And then she tries to switch the subject here. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? So she switched the subject here. And uh, kind of enough talking about me. This is making me uncomfortable. Let me just throw you a hard question. And you probably have done this before. Someone begins, maybe God begins to uh, point something out in your life about scripture. And so you start pointing fingers at other things. Yeah, well, what about them? What about them? What about this problem? What about this big theological question I have no answers for? Instead of letting God have the conversation with you that he wants to have. And so she does something similar. And Jesus begins to answer her. But not really answering this question, but coming down into the deep, the, the, the deep depths of what it means to worship and why we even have worship. So she's talking about the different ways that the, the Jewish people worship and the Samaritans worship and where they worship and what they believe about worship. And he's getting down, hey, can we ignore some of that stuff and find out what is really true about worship? So he replies in verse number 21. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. 
But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman responds and says, I know the Messiah is coming, and this was the promised one who would bring deliverance to the Jewish people. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus does his big reveal, and Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You know, we'll go off subject here for a little bit, but for some of you, you've been laying in your bed at night, you're driving your car, kind of, kind of in a perpetual state of shell shock, just stunned, just life is beating you up over and over again, and you've been having these thoughts over and over again, God, are you real? God, could you really help me? Is there any way out of this mess? Is there anyone who could help me? And today, what you've been feeling in your heart and your soul is Jesus whispering to you, directly to your heart, I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you wanted. I'm the one who can help. And you're feeling that internally as we sang today, as I speak today. And I just want you to know it is, um, it is God himself trying to draw you to him, trying to rescue you, trying to help you. Now, as we look at worship, all right, Jesus is speaking to a lady here. And so let's ignore her ethnicity for a second. He's speaking to a lady here who has a past and a reputation. And he talks about that. And he kind of casually mentions, you know, maybe you should tell your husband about this. She's like, I have no husband. He's like, that's right. All right, I forgot. Um, You had five husbands. And then she's a little bit embarrassed, right? She's like, "Um, I can't, I, you know, I can't believe you know this about me. And she begins maybe to start to feel shame, but Jesus is not casting guilt upon her. He's just letting her know, hey, I know who you are. I know what you've lived through. The amazing thing here, and this is our first thing to note here about worship, is that God wants everyone to worship him. She's had this past, but he's not showing up to say, hey, lady, lady, lady at the well. Uh, you have five husbands, right? Yeah. Well, I just wanted you to know, as God's son, as God's representative, there's no chance for you. I just want to remind you how bad you are. You've, you, you know, I understand the first marriage, that guy was a jerk, but honestly, you screwed up the other four. Just wanted to let the, just put the truth out there. It's your fault. It was your Facebook post. It was your, you know, and, but he's not doing any of that. He's mentioning her past but really as a way to say, hey, I know who you are. I still want you. When we talk about worship and worshiping God, this is something that maybe some of you might be wrestling really hard with. You say things in your mind, I'm not someone he would ever want. If you knew who I was, if you knew what I've done, you wouldn't let me come back. Listen, God, knows. He knows. And you didn't sneak your way in here past his bodyguards. And he's going to find out halfway through and and tell us and through our intercom and we're going to remove. No, he knows 
who you are. He knows what you've done and he still wants you. He wants you. He wants you. Verse number 23, it says again, the father is looking for people who will worship him in that way. He's looking for people who will worship him with their heart. He's not looking for people who are perfect. He's not looking for people who have certificates and degrees and perfection. He's looking for people who will worship him from their heart of hearts and outward. The second thing that we see in verse number 21 he, Jesus talks about, he says, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. If we're going to learn about worship and worship like Jesus and, and become like him in our worship, we've got to recognize that posture is more important than place. They're fighting about where to worship, on this mountain or on that mountain. And Jesus is saying, neither are important. What's important is the posture of your heart. At this time, when Jesus is teaching for Jewish people, life revolved around a local synagogue. And so this was where they would go for teaching and worship and community. And then there was a singular temple in Jerusalem where, they, where in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God would dwell. And Pastor Dennis talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The reason we gather to worship together has nothing to do with the church building. It has absolutely nothing to do with the structure that we're in right now. And that sometimes is surprising. Well, I thought the church was a holy place. It's only holy because we're here. It's only holy because we've dedicated it to God. If we want to go and take a planet fitness and start having church there, then amidst of all that smell and bacteria and weight equipment, the presence of God will be there. If we decide we're going to meet out in tents or if we have to, like the early church, meet in catacombs, which were what? It was like a morgue. It was a, it was a, a cemetery. And guess what? We'll meet there. God is not concerned about the structure we meet in, and we don't need to be either. There's nothing special about a building except we're here. And so the place doesn't matter. What the place looks like doesn't matter. Now we steward it. We use it. It's a tool we use. But the important thing is our heart in the midst of this building. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25, the author of Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The important thing is that we've gathered together, not that we've showed up into a building. Gathering together is an absolute necessity. We must do that as part of our practice of following Jesus but it's not something that we do because it's a building. Now, the third thing to point out, verse number 23, um, the first part, the time is coming. It's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Worship is spiritual. It's much more spiritual than you think. We think about, you know, maybe you think about spiritual as being weird, spiritual as being mystical, 
spiritual as being um, even frightening. But the moment that we just experienced together where we sang together, the moments when you pray as a family, the moments when you give, the moments when you, uh, when you enjoy a good meal, the moments when you look up at the stars, all those moments where your thoughts are fixed on God, your thoughts are giving glory to God, your thoughts are being, and your actions are being obedient to God. Those are deeply spiritual moments. To sit together and have a feast together, um, to have a barbecue together, those can be deeply spiritual moments. Many times in our church's history, many times this year, we service ends and or, or even services going on and some of the leaders will catch people out in the lobby or, or service will end, we'll catch people walking out of the auditorium and there'll be grown men who, if they were wearing mascara, it would be running down their face, crying and absolutely perplexed as to why they're crying. They'll, you, with tears in their eyes, they'll say, I don't cry. I'm like, well, looks like you do. <laughs> I don't cry, but I'm crying now. I don't understand what's going on. It's because worship's spiritual. So even in the midst of your arms crossed and standing there, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God interacts with the spirit man within you, and you start crying because there's an interaction there's an exchange. There's a communication. And in our times of worshiping together, listen, you, you miss something. You miss something when you approach it as a performance to watch. I'm going to show up and watch. You're missing it. You miss something when you show up and treat it as something to rate. I didn't like the songs today. I wish they would have done this other song. Why can't they do it like my other church? Why can't they? You miss it when you're, when you're rating it and evaluating it like you're a judge. You miss something in worship when you think it's something to get. Right? It didn't do anything for me. I didn't get anything out of the worship time today. It was fine. It was good, but... You're missing it because worship isn't about you. Isn't that something that Jesus taught? He didn't say, hey, true worshipers are going to get goosebumps. True worshipers are going to sing the oldest songs possible or true worshipers are going to sing the newest songs possible. True worshipers are going to have um, only an organ, or true worshipers are going to have the best and most expensive antique equipment you can find. No, it has nothing to do with us. True worshipers are worshiping God in spirit. They're experiencing him in a spiritual way, recognizing that these moments of singing, these moments of giving, these moments of entertainment, these moments of joy, these moments of adventure... They're for him. They're for him. It's for his glory. It's for his purposes. It's for his joy. Worship's not about you. It's not about me. We don't show up at worship night because we're like, yeah, party. I can't wait. They sing all the best songs. No, we're showing up 
because it's about God. Hey God, this worship night is for you. We've put together a good band for you. We're gonna sing squeaky and off pitch for you. Enjoy, Lord. Here's my encouragement to you, knowing that worship is spiritual, to jump in heart first. Jump in heart first. We walk in, and I, and I do this too, right? You, and um, part of, I think part of growth and being like Jesus is being able to worship in any circumstance. So if you walk in and worship's being led by a group of fifth graders who are all learning, all right? It sounds like a middle school band concert. Jump in heart first. What I do is I close my eyes, I raise my hands, and if I can't sing along, I talk along. Jesus, this moment's for you. I thank you, I thank you for being so good to me today. I thank you for that Tylenol that's helping me recover from the softball tournament this weekend. I thank you for my friends who are here today. I thank you for my kid. I thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being wonderful. And I thank you that I know you today. I thank you that you helped me this week when I, when I, was, when I was hurting. I thank you for the, and I just begin to talk and praise him because I'm jumping in heart first and not jumping in like, ah, not this song again. And what that does is allows me to sing whether I show up at a service where I know all the music or I show up at a service where I don't, whether I show up at a service and they're singing, I'm trading my sorrows, or I show up at a service and they're singing some old hymn from the 1700s. It's not about me and my enjoyment and my preference. It's about our King and our God and giving him the joy of hearing us. Ritual and traditional isn't more spiritual. And I would say this, a rock show isn't less spiritual. The ways that we worship, the things that we use to worship God, um, the, his focus is again on our heart connecting with his. On us and our uh, and our motivation to give him pleasure, our motivation to give him glory, our motivation to present this to him, not on the ways that we use it. But I would throw in this, if you do study services in scripture, they were a lot more rock show than they were funeral. A lot more. A lot more. It was loud, clanging cymbals. Have you ever heard those? Those are loud. They're even too loud for us. We don't use them. It is joyful. It is exuberant. It is another word. <laughs> so listen, here's the question. Worship is spiritual. Is the Holy Spirit invited and participating in the service? And we can't always answer that. Sometimes people will be like, I don't think it is. Well, he is. Okay, so we answered that for you. But the second thing is, is the Holy Spirit an invited? Is the Holy Spirit invited and participating in your heart? And that's the question you can answer. 
And if all of us show up saying, Holy Spirit, you're invited into my heart. You're invited into this moment. Then we end up with services that are greatly glorifying to him and also services that are deeply spiritual experience for all of us. Here's the last thing here in verse number 23 again. He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So there's two parts of this. Worship is spiritual. We want to be participating spiritually, but also worship. There's a truth portion to this that we need to look at and evaluate. And if it isn't truth, then it isn't worship, or at least it's not worshiping the one true God. We have a choice. And every one of us at different times of our life will face this maybe even multiple times in our life, and the band's invited to move forward and come join me. We can worship the God of the Bible. So this is not just a historical book. 66 different books put together under one binder, one cover, and it is God revealing himself to us, showing us who he is, speaking to us through this. And we think of this as an old antique book, but Really, to begin to understand this, this is a supernatural book. It's alive. It's living. It's active. And when you begin to read it, it begins to pierce your soul. It begins to work in your heart. It begins to bring out a spiritual fruit that you may not recognize or even be aware of until after the fact. And God is showing himself through this book, and he's helping us to know what is true and what is not. So you can worship the God of the Bible, or you can make something up. You can worship something that you've really assembled yourself and you call it God, but you can't worship both. You can't worship the God of the Bible and worship simultaneously this God that you've created. And sometimes we would say things like, well, my God would never, or I don't believe that God would, is like that, or I don't believe that God would do that. And what we've begun to do is veer from the truth. Really, we want to take our opinions out of it. and We want to look at scripture and identify what does scripture say? Who is scripture? Who is God? And we're always lining ourselves to that. We're always correcting ourselves to that. Mark chapter seven, verse number seven says, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away. They're speaking. They're calling out the name of God. With their mouth, they're saying a bunch of things that sound right, and, and, and even in their practices, they may look right, but their hearts, that spiritual part that's most important, it is far away. Their worship is a farce, for they replace God's commands with man made teachings. I don't believe that God. I don't think that God. Well, my God would never. And that may sound wonderful. But now what you're worshiping is something of your imagination, something that you've created. You're not worshiping in truth. And there are parts of God that we wrestle with, parts of God that we don't always understand, parts of God that we'll never have answers for on this side of eternity. But we want to make sure it's he, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it is Him that we are worshiping. I close with this scripture in Romans chapter 12. We did a series in February, I think, on Romans chapter 12, verse number two. And, um, and we did that series titled New earlier this year. But number one here speaks toward worship and a, a life of worship, not just showing up for 25 minutes once a month or, or even every week, but worshiping him with our whole life. And it, author of Romans writes, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We worship him by giving him our entire life in every part of our life. I've got one questionable joke running through my mind and, or one questionable point to, to, that's rolling through my mind and I'm not sure whether to share it or not. So I'm just trying to process out loud. And um, <laughs> my wife's at Milton location. If she was here right now, she'd probably be nodding her head no. But, in, but I'm just gonna go for it. In our life, <laughs> in our life, we wanna worship God in everything. And so we think about worship as just being these moments when we sing a song together. But worship's beyond that. Worship is giving. When we're saying, hey, God, I put you first in my life, and so I'm tithing according to what your scripture teaches. I'm, I'm, I'm tithing. And I'm doing that not about obligation. I'm doing that because you're my God and I trust you. And that becomes worship. When I, you know, I went camping at White Lake while I was uh, in July with, with uh, first Abram, we did a couple of nights together and then the rest of the family showed up the other nights. Listen, when you're swimming in White Lake and you're looking at Mount Chikora and this beautiful weather and this beautiful temperature and you're not getting a sunburn, that's worship to enjoy creation, enjoy the things that God made, that's worship. Even, this is the, the part that I shouldn't say, even the old song by John Mayer, your body's a wonderland, within marriage, that is worship. It's worship to enjoy each other, to enjoy things that God created, to enjoy things that God designed is worship. And so our, our body's a living sacrifice. God, every part of, whether, I, whether it's riding a motorcycle through the mountains, whether it's playing disc golf, whether it's swimming or surfing, whether it's sitting, in air conditioning, all these moments are all these moments of great joy, all these moments of great pleasure, all these moments of great beauty are things that give us recognition. God, you are wonderful. God, you are great. God, you are God. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you and we worship you. You are great. You're a great king. You're the name above every other name as we've sung about today and we want to be like you not because we are trying to be religious not because we're trying to be better than anybody else but because we want to experience everything that you promised us we want to get everything that the kingdom of heaven has for us we want everything that God the Father wants us to enjoy and experience and we want to live in the peace and freedom and joy that that you have and that you promised and that you offer we want less of us and more of you. We want you. We want you. I pray that, that even the things that would change in, change in us would be when we sing. And very, for every single one of us in our church right now, it would change. 
And never again will we sit in a worship service at Restoration Church or, or at any other church or at any other event and think, I don't really like this song. I don't really like this. But in the, any corporate worship setting from here on out in the future, the thing that would change in everyone in our service right now is that it would be for you. We get ourselves out of the equation. So I asked Jesus, in a moment we're going to sing as a church to you. I pray that you'd be here. Holy Spirit, we invite you in here to move in our place. And God, we offer our voices to you. We offer our instruments to you. We offer these to you to enjoy and to receive and to be blessed by. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.